So, Alex, a uh, financial advisor and a lawyer walk into a bar. Oh, then what happens, Dave? Well, the question comes up, do I really need to update my agreements? Oh, do I need to update my agreements? Well, you're talking to a lawyer. What do you reckon a lawyer is going to tell you about that? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's going to cost you a ton of money. Yeah, a- a- any way to get some more dough out of you, they're always <laughs> yeah, going to go and yeah, suck yeah. the life out of you. <laughs> hey, 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 settle down. <laughs> Unbelievable. But, um, you know, seriously, I think from, from, from a big perspective, I mean, people do kind of forget sometimes that, you know, agreements like anything need to be updated. It's like, um, you know, when you're renovating a house or you, you look around your house. I mean, everything needs a bit of maintenance. Yeah, yeah, that's true. As things change, especially when what I find a lot of our clients um, have gone from being sort of a mum and dad business, if you want to call that, you know, maybe mum and dad and their son helping them or whatever, maybe no staff, and then they've gone over the years, you know, and then they might have 10, 20, you know, 200 staff, and so suddenly their risk profile's changing. They might have had a couple of small customers, you know, and now they might have, you know, million-dollar contracts. Yep. So as your risk profile's changing, um, it's a sensible time. And you often then have the cash flow as well to revisit your contracts and to, to look at your risk management and see if it's all sort of out of kilter. But it's also the legislative changes. Yeah. You know, in, in, in so even on, you know, for instance, when we talk about employment agreements, I mean, the employment environment is dramatically different than what it was five years ago. The obligations to the employer is enormous compared to what it was. And then we've got these issues of working from home, working from the office, how does that work? All of those sorts of agreements. And it's a bit like that refresh. It's like to go back in and qualify, go, yep, no, I'm comfortable with that. Or maybe we need to make some adjustments to the way we have our agreements in place. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The, the legislative changes come along and they can make your whole agreement invalid. If you're talking about the wrong bit of workplace legislation or whatever, which uh, isn't going to help you. Or there can be changes which you can really, you can exclude certain things that are in the legislation and, and the contract has to do that. And if it does do that, then they're excluded. And if it doesn't, then they're included. A big example of that was the Personal Property Securities Register. Yep. The PPSA, which was uh, which was brought in to, to stop what they call you should have fixed and floating charges. <laughs> yeah, they love all those technical sort of terms, the PPSA. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but that meant if you, if you you know if you were a, a business that hired out equipment and uh, and you hired it out and you didn't register your interest in the equipment and then your customer went into liquidation, the liquidator was the owner of that equipment even though they'd never yep. paid for it, they hadn't bought it. So not registering on the PPSA had pretty serious um, consequences for many businesses and and no. And people still really don't really understand the PPSA. Especially when you're dealing with some really expensive equipment. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You might be dealing with a million-dollar truck or, a, a you know, a forklift or, yeah, hugely expensive machinery. We've got, we've got some cranes that are worth, um, you know, $2.5 million each, which were being rented out by a client and, uh, and registering on the PPSA, which costs takes like five minutes and might cost you $8 or something, a registration. So you'd be mad not to register... Uh, on the PPSA, but you need to know about it, you know, and if you don't get your agreements checked from time to time, then you, you may never know and you may be taking risks you didn't know you were taking. Yeah. So what happens, so so if I, I and I'm going to put myself in as the crane business that you talk about, yep. so I am borrowing money to purchase that crane. Yes, exactly. That crane yes. is then put out to work. Right. And unfortunately, the builder that we put it onto goes yep. into, into liquidation and I didn't have it on. Yes. I, as the owner of the business, yes, I still have that hold that obligation to repay the mortgage even though the, the, the property yes. is now sitting with the liquidator. They don't have, do they have an obligation to, to provide that equipment because the 
uh, crane would have been held as security on the debt? Yes, good good question. So so the, the primary obligation is you, you as the business owner who bought the crane need to make to, to, to pay for it, um, regardless of what happens to the equipment. Um, but probably the, the lender who lent you the money would have a charge over the crane and, and probably that would be registered on the PPSA. And therefore, the if they did all of that, then the lender would be able to go and grab the crane from the from the uh, uh, building site, right, if it was registered. But, I mean, that's a lot of ifs, right? Yeah, yeah. Ideally, obviously, you would register your interest and then you could go and grab it and then you could lend it out to the next person and, and you could continue on with your business. Um, uh, you don't want to be relying on the security from the lender. But but typically the lender, you know, they're not more au fait with this sort of stuff. Um, but it depends on the lender. If you're dealing with a smaller lender, they may not, uh, whereas you're dealing with a sort of conventional bank, they probably would. Um, but it's certainly it's certainly a big risk, and we did see it. We've seen seen a lot of over the years. We've seen a lot of uh, particularly uh, construction companies, as we all know, construction is going through a tough time, and a lot of them have gone under. And the yep. equipment that was sitting on site, or, or supplies that were sitting on site that hadn't been used yet, were all the, the property of the liquidator. And the liquidator gets appointed, and they just sell it all. And uh, that can go from you know a couple of months to to years, depending upon how it's sort of set up. I mean, it would be unusual for the equipment to take that long, but Certainly, there's a period of time that yep. would, would go through that you're not then generating an income. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and it all comes back to just getting your, your agreements looked at regularly. I mean, some some law firms offer if they've done an agreement, they'll then update it. You know, if if new laws come in, um, or they'll if they've got regular, if you've got a regular lawyer. And I think if you're a business owner, you should have a, a lawyer that you use all the time. You should should have a regular lawyer because there's a lot of um, uh, efficiency in having the same person who understands your business and all that. And, and often they'll. Uh, Offer a service where they'll keep you up to date, you know, for free or for minimal cost in, in, in changes in the law that, that come in, or they'll, you know, you'll be on their mailing list and they'll send out articles which you'll ignore <laughs> or whatever. It now, is. Now, I don't think now, now I think Alex, that's very unfair when you look at, you know, if, if Taurus Legal Management was sending out a uh, everyone a, a reads email communication, people would be all over yeah, it. All ears. Yeah, I'm not. It's not like I'm on a million email lists of stuff that I ignore. I think I might be on your email list, Dave. But yeah, I correct. Always- and, and he's opened. Up but is that that you hold your breath in anticipation when that pops <laughs> yeah. along? Yeah, but it's just a matter of going back to, to to having the agreements updated from time to time, and and I think looking at the different areas of your business, you know, that you've got agreements with your customers, which are one kind of thing, and they're really important. You know, your customer agreements are really critical to everything, um, and that involves warranties, you know, pricing, making sure you can you've got security for payments, involves personal guarantees if that's appropriate, you know, so that you get paid if the customer goes into liquidation or whatever. And then you've got agreements with your employees, which is another kind of area of risk. Uh, and then separately, I think, and this is one that is often ignored completely, which is agreements between business owners. So if there's more than one owner of yes. business, um, who aren't kind of husband and wife, then, or maybe even if they are, they certainly should have a shareholder agreement or a unit holder agreement, some kind of agreement between the owners, which governs management, decision making, you know, voting. It governs what I call the three exits. You know, yeah, if there's an exit, yeah, yeah, yes. whether that be by choice or, or, or um, yeah. you know, life yeah. taking its control of you. Yeah, 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 that's right. Or, or deadlock, you know, that, that you, you get stuck in a, you know, you've 50-50 ownership and so you're stuck and you can't get past a particular decision. Um, and then what do you do? You know, is there, a, is there a chairman that gets elected or a chairperson? Is there a, is there a, a how do you deal with a deadlock in, in voting? Do you go to evaluation? Do you exit? Whatever. There's a whole bunch of ways to deal with it all. But having that all in writing um, makes a big difference. And in fact, in my experience, it even helps, helps the business align. The owners get aligned 
even if you never look at it, even if you do the document and then never look at it again, you, you may never look at it again if, if everything goes swimmingly. You don't need to look at it. Yep. Fine. But the process kind of helps the business owners work out, well, hang on, who's doing what and uh, what happens if we run out of money and we're both going to kick in 50% or, or what happens if I want to go and you don't want to go or you get injured or, you know, if, if I pass away, will you be in business with my wife or, or will the wife? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So it's a lot of these what-if questions. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So do you think in a lot of respects that for some people either getting an agreement set up in the first place or a a review of their existing agreements is a little bit of she'll be right? Yeah, so we certainly have. People are worried. In the first instance, when they're setting up new businesses, I think they're worried about cost, which is understandable when you've got a, a new business. And, and you don't have to set this stuff up at the very beginning. I mean, the beginning is very convenient, but you don't have to. Um, and then as the business progresses, they get into a kind of a, a rhythm and then they get worried about disturbing that rhythm. Often what happens is, and it's sort of a human trait, I think, is you, you go, well, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with Dave on that issue about, you know, about deadlock because that's all a bit tricky. So I just won't. And so then you just you just put it in the too hard basket. It stays there. Yep, Shove your head in the sand on that one. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And so that can and then then things can escalate. You know, whereas often if you've got a deadlock break mechanism, even if maybe it's not perfect, at least there's something there. And then you actually avoid the dispute in the first place because you, you go, well, look, I know if if Dave and I can't agree, I know that the you know the chairperson is our accountant, and and I know that they're probably likely to take this view or that view, so I'm going to accept that decision. And, and it reduces the conflict between you and I. Yeah, and I think it is that, that that sitting down and having that discussion on any of these sorts of issues, I think we could bring it back to communication. Oh, yeah, and that will yeah. that will solve a lot of issues in a lot of areas rather than just avoiding the topic. And, yeah. and again, I think it does. It comes back to, and it's no different if it was your existing directors or shareholders, but also your customers. You know, you don't want to go to the point where you get into, a, you know, a legal argument because you haven't communicated over anything. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, we've got one at the moment, which is which is about a, a, a uniforms, a school uniform supply agreement dispute. And uh, and it just wasn't clear from the contract whether, so a whole bunch of uniforms are manufactured for a, a chain of, for a bunch of schools. Yep. And uh, it wasn't clear at the end of the contract when, it, if it, when the contract finished whether the excess supply of uniforms, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uniforms, what happened to them? Did they, did the school have to buy them or did the manufacturer have to bear the, the cost of making these extras that would then not be used? And there was a real lack of communication. People could see it coming as an issue but didn't want to deal with it because it was unclear. And then once the contract finished, of course, they're both off lawyers at 20 paces, you know. And uh, and as it happens, the school, there's, there's different versions of the school all around Australia and so we we, you know, had to deal with it. Five or six different times, the same, same, same out of date contract that hadn't been revised. Yeah, same issue exactly, and uh, all around Australia for for you know something which there's no inherent, um, there's no perfect way of approaching it. There should just be some sort of you know, or maybe you have to buy fifty percent, or you have to buy them all, and you know you do, so you run down your supply or whatever. But as, as you were saying, clear communication would have um, resolved that from the but start. Do you think? Do you think that the Australian market is becoming more litigious in that? Oh, I hope so. Uh, 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 oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 just to, to all our listeners out there, you know, Alex's eyes just sort of glistened, and Whoa. you can almost see—you can almost see the dollar values. Just yeah, you know, he I'm loves it. The, the more exactly the area. like America, because that's that's yeah, a great yeah, place yeah, to live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it, to me, it's just—I know—and it, look, it's a real balance. Like, it's a really difficult one, I think, because you know, to document everything. Some people go, "Oh, but that's not great." But at the same yep. time, if you're looking to exit your business, if everything's documented, it's very clear, it makes yep. your business more valuable. 
But also it makes you in a position that then people go, well, if you're going to throw the contract at me because that's what we've agreed to, then I disagree with that for whatever reason and I'm interpreting that contract the way it's been written, even though that may have been signed off previously. It's, it's, it's always that real concern around are we becoming overly legalised in a lot of this Yeah, stuff. yeah, I understand It's that. a balance. Yeah, if, if you do have a contract in place, it may be the contract was negotiated some time ago and things have moved on since then. You know? Yep, and so it may be that interpret like that, that enforcing the contract may be unfair in some way now because of whatever water's under the bridge. And if you just stick to the contract purely and simply, that might be unfair. Or you know, and so if you would take a litigious approach, then you could actually bully someone using the contract. You know, which is not ideal. But that's a reason to have them updated regularly, right? Because then, yeah, which I'm about to say, that gives you yeah. the reason that you should you know review them and and, and have them. Uh, reassessed and re-executed just to make sure everyone's comfortable with the agreements that we've we've kind of come to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had one a shareholder agreement just recently that had been in place for many years and the client um, went to do their will and, you know, they, they looked at the shareholder agreement as part of that because their main asset was the business and there was nothing in there about um, what happens if they die or they're permanently disabled at all. So, you know, the, the and the will only deals with personal assets, as we've sort of talked about in previous episodes. The will doesn't deal with company assets, which sometimes surprises people. And so there would have been, there would have, this company was has two main shareholders and it's worth a lot of money. And uh, if one of them died or was disabled, then they'd be in business with the, um, spouse. the, the, the spouse or the children or whoever is, 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 um, inherits the shares, if you like, which wasn't the idea. Yep. And nobody knew that. And nobody looked at it for years and years. And in fact, what had happened is the company, there's a company in Australia, but now there's a company in New Zealand and there's a company overseas in Europe and there's a, a, in fact, a couple more companies in Australia. So there's this whole corporate group and there's only really one document that has a, a shareholder agreement, which is of no value to them anymore. And there was two directors and now there's four. So things, wow. all sorts of things. Yeah, happen. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this company's worth maybe $100 million. So you're talking about a $50 million asset for the two main owners. And so, you know, and you, and you might, to do update all of that might cost you five grand, six grand. You know, it depends on what's going on. It might, might cost more than that. It depends on, on a bunch of things. But you really, relative to the value of the company and to, to the importance to the spouse and to the lives of the owners, you're really talking about a small investment, I think, to... Uh, yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen a few over the years where it only mentions death. Yeah, like the, the the shareholders' agreement for whatever reason, it was an older agreement, and it only mentioned what would occur if one of the directors was deceased. Yeah. It doesn't pick up. Well, what happens if they need to um, exit due to a, a you know a terminal illness? Like that could take that might that might take them three or four years before they actually yeah deceased. they might they might die but, but they, they might not be able to work in between yeah, yeah and it doesn't yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. Or, or a total permanent disability. So I, I think. Or, you know, the lack of uh, cognitive ability. I mean, that could be a, an accident or there's a whole range of reasons. And I agree. I think it's one of those things that people kind of, yeah, no, no, she, she'll be right. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to do that. But also I think agreements can be, which, we, I mean, you made the point around estate planning. That That is a really important thing because you can have these commercial agreements. Yeah. A lot of time people won't assess that in alignment to their estate planning requirements. Yeah. Because a lot of the time they don't always understand that it, it, a will only deals with your personal assets unless there's an instruction that's tied back into the corporate structure. So you've got to make sure the wording on both documents supports the direction that you want to go. Because you may say something within your will that you would like to occur, but yeah. the actual document of the company constitution or the trustee 
or unit trust doesn't yeah. allow that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's just a matter of your wishes being properly set out in writing because if you won't, if you're ill or you're dead, then you're not going to be around to, to make them happen. Um, and you, you've had this lifetime. And in, in this case, this, this to go back to my example of the $100 million business, we're talking about serious dollars. I, I can understand the she'll be right attitude if you, you're talking about I'm just starting a business with my brother, you know, and we've got zero turnover. You think, okay, well, I don't really want to spend a whole bunch of money with my lawyers, you know, day one. And, and look, you know, I'd say maybe you should anyway, and if you should be investing in the future of your business, but, you know, that's me. But I, I can understand that. But, you know, things happen, things get out, of, like as the business grows and, and, and life moves on, and you're talking about serious value, you're talking about a relatively small investment for a lot of kind of insurance, if you like, for, you know, what if one, one person was ill or, or died? And in fact, with the two directors of this particular company, I don't think either of them are in the best health ever anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but, but it also goes back to it. You know, you and I could be sitting here having a conversation as directors of a business. So, you and I have had these conversations. We might have had it for 15 years, these conversations, and there may be an original document. However, when they go home and talk to their partners at home or their kids, the discussion may be a little bit differently, but the interpretation of that discussion, oh, I thought Alex meant this versus, no, this is actually what it is and they haven't had that opportunity to have that, you know, explanation provided by either party Just say, this is what we would like to see happen. Now we need to get that documented in such a way. So that's how I look at it. I mean, I look at it as agreements as a really positive point of view because it gives clarity around what it is that you want to occur. It's not just for when things go bad. It's also when people are wanting to progress and transition and move and sell out of an asset or, or, you know, take out another. Like there's a whole range of different reasons. It's not a negative. It's actually a much better position to allow people to be very clear around what they would like to see happen. And so to me, you've almost got to cascade through some of the agreements, which are the most important ones, and... Some will be, well, we'll just let it run as it is. But I do think, you know, you want to go through the various agreements and understand what each one does for you or not for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's just part of your kind of your broader risk management of the business and your broader good management of the business, right? Even putting yep. aside risk, it's good management so that all your customers are clear what yep. payment terms are, that all your, you know, your employees are clear what confidential information they're allowed to take home, you know, or not, <laughs> um, what they can, when they finish their, their finish um, working with you, what they have to return and what they can, you know, what information they can continue to use or whatever it is. Yep. Uh, can they poach customers? Can they wait for a while and then poach your customers? You know, how does yep. that all work? Clarity means you avoid disputes and then you avoid going to court, you avoid lawyer fees and you avoid, you know, stress. Yeah, and it really improves your enterprise value. Yeah, yeah well, that's right. You know, because that's someone right. looking, looking yeah. at your business. Yeah. If you haven't got things documented, they, they don't know. Oh, well, there's Alex. Alex has got an agreement with, you know, Bob down the road. Yeah. Well, why, why, I don't know that as a potential purchaser of your business or even, a you know, a younger director coming in and purchasing. Like they don't know what some of the agreements are. So yeah, that can also be a catalyst if you're bringing in some younger ones and you're transitioning or selling down on part of your business. It's a good time to kind of review all of your agreements through that process as well. Yeah, I can tell you, if you're trying to raise money, if you're trying to get investment into your business, trying to get shareholders in particular, they're not going to jump in unless there's a shareholder agreement, which, you know, yep. gives them minimum rights, unless there's, a there's you know, sub- long-term supply agreements, unless there's employment agreements, unless there's, you know, insurance in place. They want to see all of those things, and, and those things are going to help you raise money. They're also going to help you sell your business. And then also, even if you don't sell your business or raise money, they're going to help you run your business so it's not so reliant on you. 
which will will make it more valuable and less stressful to to operate. Yep, because you can always parachute someone else in to do it because it's like, well, there's my roadmap. That's what you need yeah. to do. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how these things sometimes they all kind of overlap with one another. Some of these themes that we talk about in different podcasts, like you know, running the business, so it's not so reliant on you. Yep. They, they, those themes just sort of come through each time, and you know that that sensible business management uh, involves a whole lot of aspects. And one aspect I think is is having clarity around the agreements. Yep. Okay. So before we kind of close out the episode for today, Alex, is there anything you'd like to kind of add in there that people need? Oh to no, know only of? that uh, I think I think we you know you want to look at the different as- different areas of that you have agreements and look at the kind of risk. Overall, and you know, has the risk increased? Are the transaction sizes increased? Is that has the law changed? Do you know if the law's changed? That you know, that sort of stuff, and then just make sensible decisions. I'm not saying you need to review your every contract you've got every year, but yeah. I think every uh, uh, you know, you need to look at the different areas probably every year as part of your myth, myth risk management plan and identify which ones need to be updated and, yeah. uh, and get a, a good long term relationship with the solicitor who can help you through that in a kind of a cost effective way over the years, you know, as a long term investment. Well said. I agree. I think part of it is just, you know, it is a, a matter of just understanding what your agreements are and when yeah. was the last time you reviewed them to really give yourself a bit of an op- opportunity to, to get sort of stuck into it. Sure. All right. Well, what we might do is we sort of close out our conversation today. I'd like to thank Alex again from um, Taurus Legal Management. And for those okay. that would like to contact Alex, we can either pick him up at uh, LinkedIn at Alex Martin or via the website at Taurus lawyers.com.au and also as I talk away I'd like to thank myself David Murdoch <laughs> the wealth activist from Paxton Ridge you can also contact me on LinkedIn at David Murdoch or the via our website at paxtonbridge.com thank you for today show notes will be provided including our contact details so once again Alex look forward to another conversation and we shall talk soon thanks Dave thanks listeners see ya